A prodigious amount of scholarly ingenuity and energy has been dedicated to maintaining the amazingly problematic concept of the eternal generation of the Son of God. That the Son of God is deity without beginning of existence is an essential prop of the Trinitarian system. At the simplest level, however, the Bible is in direct contradiction of the idea that the Son has no beginning. Matthew devotes an entire chapter to the origin of Jesus Christ. In Matthew 1 verse 18, in the best manuscripts, it is the genesis of Jesus he describes, not just his birth, but his origin or creation. If Matthew had been aware of a son of God already in existence and from eternity, he could not have written as he did. Matthew is at pains to document not only the generating of some 40 of Jesus' ancestors, but the unique miracle which accounts for the beginning, the genesis of the Messiah, Matthew 1 verse 18. Matthew 1 verse 1 introduces the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David. By generation, we are to understand the Messiah's coming into existence. That is what both the Greek and the English mean. Supporters of the traditional concept of an already existing second member of the Godhead are embarrassed at information producing the opposing impression that the son was begotten in time. The angel who visited Joseph knew nothing of the bewildering post-biblical arguments about the eternity of the son. He announced to Joseph what is begotten in her, as to say, in Mary, is from Holy Spirit. Her son, in other words, is a divine creation, but not a person already in existence before conception and giving up one form of life for another. The Holy Spirit is the source of the divine miracle in Mary. By that creative act, the Son is begotten. He comes into existence. Translations have veiled the truth here by rendering to yenithen, what has been begotten, as that which is conceived. This mistranslation of the Greek word yenao, to beget of the father, or to bear of the mother, avoids the unwanted association of the begetting of the Son of God by the Father in time and in the womb of his mother. Psalm 2 verse 7 is the classic Old Testament source for the origin of the Son. You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. Today indeed. But Origen took the whole church off into the wildest left field by proposing, as by divine fiat, that today, as he said, with God means eternity. Even the stalwart evangelical commentator Henry Alford, who clings to the plain sense of the text so often and so well, becomes unhinged 
when dealing with the quotation of Psalm 2 verse 7 in Hebrews 1 verse 5. Henry Offord says this, In applying Psalm 2 verse 7 to our Lord, we want another and higher sense in which both words I have begotten and today may be applicable to him. A sense in which I should be disposed to say that the words must in their fullness of meaning be taken to the neglect and almost the obliteration of that the supposed lower reference. That quotation is from Henry Alford's Greek Testament, written in 1862. Psalm 2-7 presents an insuperable barrier to the idea of an eternally generated Son. The biblical Son of God is a creature begotten in time. Today, Paul sees the date of that begetting as the beginning of the Son, not his resurrection. F. F. Bruce observes of Acts 13, verse 33, the promise of Acts 13, 23, the fulfillment of which is here described in Acts 13, 33, has to do with the sending of the Messiah, Acts 13, 23, not his resurrection, for which see Acts 13, verse 34. That's a quotation from F. F. Bruce's The Acts of the Apostles, written in 1951. It should be obvious that the resurrection does not mark the coming into existence, the beginning or begetting of the Son, though it is at his resurrection that Jesus is shown to be the Son of God in power. Romans 1 verse 3 announces the gospel, and I quote, concerning God's Son who came into existence, Yenomenu, from the seed of David as to his human descent. But as the descendant of David, he was at the same time also the Son of God, according to Paul in verse 3. His appointment to a new position of power as Son happened at the resurrection. The origin of his Sonship is not said to be the resurrection here, or in Acts 13, verse 33. Paul and Luke were traveling companions. Their common understanding of the origin of Jesus should be assumed. It is confirmed by the definite statement of Gabriel, as reported by Luke, in Luke 1, verse 35, where we read, For that reason indeed, Vioke, that's to say, because of the miracle to be performed in Mary, the holy thing to be begotten will be called the Son of God. Here, surely, the divine sonship of the Messiah is firmly grounded not in eternity, but in the historical intervention of God six months later than the remarkable conception of John the Baptist, described in Luke 1, verse 26. Commentators who are persuaded that Luke and Paul should have been orthodox like themselves 
have employed a battery of techniques to evade the obvious in Luke 1 verse 35. It has been argued that Gabriel gave only one reason for the child being the Son of God. This would allow for the addition of another reason, his eternal sonship. Others have decided that Son of God is only what the baby would be called, while in reality he is something much more. But I note that to be called, as Raymond Brown says, in the New Testament, announces what you are. Compare Matthew 5 verse 9 with Luke 6 verse 35. Raymond Brown was right. We are dealing here with the begetting of God's Son in the womb of Mary through God's creative spirit. That's a quotation from Raymond Brown's The Birth of the Messiah written in 1977. The battle over the definition of the Son continues. Meanwhile, the simplicity of the biblical Christology is lost in the fog of argument and counter-argument. If Psalm 110 verse 1 had been taken, as the New Testament takes it, as the master key to Christology, perhaps the problem could have been resolved long ago. In that psalm, the Lord God addresses the Messiah to come as Adoni. Adoni, in all of its 195 occurrences, never designates a figure who is deity. Rather, it describes a supremely elevated human being. That is who Jesus is. How well Dr. Colin Brown spoke when, in an illuminating article on Christology, he stated, Indeed, to be a son of God, one has to be a being who is not God. It is a designation for a creature indicating a special relationship with God. That's from Colin Brown's article, Trinity and Incarnation, in the journal Ex Auditu, number 7 of 1991. The sooner churches abandon the erroneous idea that the Son of God is co-equally deity with his Father, the better will be the prospect of fruitful dialogue between three world religions, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. At present, the astonishing dogma that the Son of God was begotten and yet had no beginning, which is an abuse of language by any standards, divides and confuses. The average churchgoer has no idea of what this central tenet means, yet is threatened with expulsion and anathema and damnation if he does not believe it. Such a terrorizing atmosphere cannot generate reasoned discussion from Scripture. Professor William Sanday of Oxford, writing the article on the Son of God in the Hastings Bible Dictionary, found that, and I quote, there is not a single reference in the Synoptic Gospels to Jesus 
having been the Son of God before his birth. If we examine John's Gospel, Sandez says, we have to look about somewhat for expressions that are free from ambiguity. Perhaps there are not any. That's from the Hastings Dictionary of the Bible, written in 1911, volume 4, page 576. This was a welcome invitation to abandon the unscriptural notion that Jesus, Messiah and Son of God, had an origin other than by divine miracle performed in Mary. His origin in history adequately accounts for the biblical data and tells of the amazing destiny of man as pioneered in Jesus. The Apostle John fought hard to preserve the identity of the Son of God and complained urgently about any deviation from the historical Messiah Jesus who came on the scene as a human being with a mission. 1 John 4 verse 2 and 2 John 7. Not God assuming an impersonal human nature as traditional views propose, opposing any notion of a timeless so-called begetting, John insisted on a point of time for the event by which the Son of God was begotten. John wrote of, He who was begotten by God preserves the believer. 1 John 5.18, but not the King James Version there. Belief in the miraculously generated Son of God remains the basis of biblical faith along with belief in that unique son's gospel of the kingdom of God. Luke 4, verse 43.